so you'd show us how things fit together and that we can make application. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 9. We'll continue, of course, our study of really the history of the nation of Israel. If you remember, we're going to go chapters 9, 10, and 11. When we get through chapter 11, that's all we're going to do because that's the life of Solomon. We're looking at the first three kings. And then after that, we'll have spring break. And then after spring break, we'll start the book of Revelation on Sunday morning. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So we've got only chapters 9, 10, and 11 uh, in the study, really, of the life of Solomon. We're looking at Israel and their kings. We saw, first of all, Saul, the first king, David, the second king, and now Solomon. And when we think about Solomon, we think of Solomon, we think of his wealth, his wives, and his wisdom. And, And those all kind of go together, and we'll see how that fits when we look at his life. We've just completed, really, probably the most important thing in Solomon's life, and that was the building of the temple, the place that God would meet with his people. We understand that God didn't dwell in the temple. God, even the heavens and earth cannot contain God, as even Solomon said. But that God, that temple was the place that God said that he would come there. He would meet with them and he would look to that place. And so the temple has been built. It took seven years to build it. It's an amazing thing. And we're going to see something. God is going to come to Solomon a second Time. You remember the first time he came to Solomon was right after Solomon became king. And God came to him and asked him a question. This time God's not asking a question. God's telling things. And we'll see what it is when we go through this. As we look at our passage this morning, and, and we're going to do the whole chapter now, and we'll go pretty quickly through it. But why is obedience so important? And how did Solomon worship God? And how do we worship God? And then how do we respond in disappointment. Now, the reason we'll see that, you know, why we say that as we get into the passage for a little bit. But first of all, realize, let's just start off with this. Life is full of disappointments. It happens. Sometimes things don't turn out the way we think we should. they should. There's a famous saying called Murphy's Law. It's nothing is ever as simple as it's supposed to be. It always takes longer than it's supposed to be. It costs more than it's supposed to. The old saying, if you fool around with something long enough, it'll eventually break. I mean, that's just, that's just sort of how it is. And when we think about uh, the, the idea of disappointments, sometimes we say, we're going to win, and then we lose. Or sometimes we say, I'm going to get into grad school, and we don't. Or sometimes we say, I'm, I'm going to get a raise, and we don't. Or we say, I'm, we're going to get that house, and somebody else gets it. So how do we handle disappointments? Life is full of disappointments. How do we handle it? How do we deal with it? How do we respond when things don't turn out as we want? The reason I brought that up is in our passage this morning, we're going to see Hiram. Hiram is the king of Tyre. Hiram is the king that helped Solomon build the temple. He's the one that sent the trees down. He's the one that did a lot of things. And Solomon was supposed to give him or was going to give him a number of cities. A number of cities. He's going to give him these cities. And we're going to see what happens because when Hiram looks at the cities, he doesn't like them. And what's he going to do? What's he going to do when he's disappointed in the cities? We'll see how that ties in as we look this morning. Well, Solomon has just completed the temple. It took seven years to build the temple. We saw the dedication. We saw the special time. We saw God, the, 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 the power of God and the glory of God came down, and we saw that they sacrificed 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. I mean, it was just an amazing time. And so the, the temple has been built. And when you think about Solomon's life up to this point, he has set up the government. He's had the building program. He's built the temple. He's built his palace. He's had the dedication prayer. He's offered all these sacrifices. And, 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 and if you look at verses 62 and 63, it talks about all the sacrifices. And then finally, the last verse says, on the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king. 
And then they went on their way to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David as Solomon's father, his servant, and to Israel's people. It's to David because God, God promised David that Solomon would be the king and he'd build the temple. And so I want you to notice something. There's joy and gladness in the nation. Now think of this. Whenever we obey God, there will be joy and gladness. And when we disobey God, there won't be. And we're going to see this in what God comes and tells Solomon, and we're going to see it in our own lives. We can say, when we obey God, when we live for God, when we do what's right, there's joy and blessing and gladness and everything else. And when we have sin in our life, there's not. And there's discipline, and we'll see how that fits together. So let, let's begin. God, this is the outline of our passage. Uh, the first nine verses where God comes to Solomon and talks to him, then Hiram's disappointment, then Solomon's building projects, and then Solomon's lifestyle. So we're going to go through chapter nine. There's a number of verses, but we're going to go fairly quickly. I just want you to see it. We went through chapter, you know, chapter eight. Chapter eight had 66 verses in it, and they were long verses, and so it took us a good while to get through chapter eight. Chapter nine will not be as hard to go through, and we'll be able to go through it fairly quickly. We see some important information. God is going to come to Solomon after the dedication of the temple. And we see some important information. And this ties together. The information that God tells Solomon goes back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. Because I want to remind you something. When God gave Moses the law and set apart the nation of Israel, God said this. If you as a people, this is to Moses and this is in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you obey me as a nation... I will bless you and keep you in the land. If you disobey me as a nation, I will curse you and remove you from the land. When Solomon, when God comes to Solomon this morning, he reminds them of this truth, the principle that if you obey, there's blessing. In fact, I want you to think about this. Obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings curse and discipline. That was true for the nation of Israel. That is true for us Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. What a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow of the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow of the Spirit, you reap life. And so the bottom line is, if we live in the power of the Holy Spirit and obey God and live for the, live the Word and, and do all that, we're going to be blessed. But if we disobey, if we don't live in the power of the Holy Spirit, if we live in sin, there'll be discipline. And that's true no matter whether it's Solomon or the nation of Israel or us, and we'll talk about that as we go through it. So let's watch. God is going to come to Solomon. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. It came about when Solomon had finished building the building, the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all that Solomon desired to do. Now, he's, fin he's done it. He's built the stuff. It's taken him 20 years, and it says all that he desired to do. Now, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but he's built a palace. He's built a place for his wife. He's built a temple. He's building these different houses, and he's building these different cities. There's all kinds of things. This says, after he'd finished doing it, that he'd finished doing all that he desired to do, notice verse 2, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. So God comes to him. Now, this is the second time God has appeared to Solomon. Now, can you imagine God coming to you directly? Now, we see him in his word, and we, we've got God's direct revelation to us in the scripture, but he came directly to Solomon. This is The first time was right after he came king. If you remember, he came to him and he said, Solomon, what do you want? 
And of course, don't tell them what Solomon would, add, would say. But Solomon could have said, well, I want to be rich or I want to be powerful. I want to have, be famous. I want... Solomon didn't say that. Solomon said, I want wisdom. I, I'm like a young guy. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to oversee all these people. I want your wisdom, God. And so God said, I'm going to give you wisdom. And because you didn't ask for the other things, I'm going to give you riches and power and wonder and everything else. And as we look at the life of Solomon, he has become the richest, richest person in the world He's become the wisest person in the world. He has, uh, he, he's, he's everything. Even the most, he, Israel's now the most powerful nation in the world. The one that had been powerful was Egypt. But he's already made an alliance with Egypt by marrying the Pharaoh's daughter. So we're going to see more about this. So when you think about Solomon, he has everything. And so you might sit back and say, <laughs> you know, what, uh, what are you going to do now, Solomon? You have everything. You've built everything. You've built the temple. You're the richest person in the world. You're also the wisest person in the world. What what are you going to do with your life? And we can say the same thing. You believe in Jesus Christ. You have what? You have eternal life. You're saved and saved forever. You've got the word of God. You've got spiritual gifts. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got fellow believers. He'll never leave you or forsake you. So what we could say is, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? You have everything. We have everything. So God comes to him. The Lord appeared to Solomon. Notice in, in verse 2, Lord, Lord is all capitals, L-O-R-D. That's the personal name of God. That's I am. That song we just sang, this is it. This is, this is Y-H-W-H in Hebrew, which is a form of Hayah is the Hebrew word for I am. This is Yahweh, which is formed off that. That's why God said, my name is I am. So the Lord, the I am, appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. So he comes, and he's going to appear. And this time he's not asking Solomon what you want, what he wants. He's telling Solomon something. Notice verse 3. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built by putting my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, if you remember, he says, he says, I've heard your prayer. You remember the prayer? We saw it, it took as the longest prayer recorded in the scripture. And seven different petitions, and all of them say almost the same thing. God, when we call upon you, looking at this temple, will you come and help us and answer our prayers? And so God says to Solomon, the Lord said to him, verse 3, I heard your prayer and your supplication which you made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built by putting my name there and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And he says, I will always look to listen. When he says it, he says, I'm going to see what you're doing and I'm going to love you. That's what he actually says. He says to them, you built this house for me, Solomon, and you prayed that I would look to this house and help you. Well, I'm going to look to this house, and I'm going to love you. That's what I'm going to do. That's what God says to Solomon. We go, wow. Wow, that, that is amazing. You know, I don't understand. Now, Israel is was, was God's chosen people. From beginning to Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob to the 12 tribes and on down, this is a people group that God chose, not for salvation. Each individual Jewish person must believe in the Messiah for salvation. He chose this group of people to carry out his plan. Part of the plan was to put together the word of God. Another part of the plan was to bring the Messiah into the world. So God has chosen these people. And he says, I'm going to be with you. I heard about, I've seen the temple. I put my name there. I will see you with my eyes. 
and I will love you with my heart. That's basically what he says. Now, you think about this. We're God's special ones. And we're the body of Christ. We're not, we're not Israel. We're different. But all of us who have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life are placed in the body of Christ. And we're special in that sense. And he loves us with an everlasting, unconditional love. And, and so we, as, as believers, are to live differently than the rest of the world. Ephesians 4.1, we're to walk worthy of the calling which we've been called. Romans 12.2, he says, stop letting sin reign in your mortal body. He says, don't, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians chapter 5 says, walk in light, walk in love, walk in wisdom. All of that's true, and that's how we're supposed to live, because we are a unique people. The body of Christ, the church. We're separate from Israel. One of these days, we're going to be gone. Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds, take us out. Then he'll take back and take his nation, Israel, and use them again. Right now, he set them aside. That's what the book of Romans tells us. And, of course, other places as well. So, what is God going to tell him? What is God going to tell Solomon? He says, Solomon, guess what? I'm going to answer your prayers. I'm going to be there. I'm going to look, and I'm going to love. That's why he says, my eyes in my heart. But then he's going to tell him something. And the first part is positive. And it goes back to Deuteronomy 28. He says, obedience brings blessing. He says, if you obey me, there will be blessing. Notice what he says in verse four. As for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart, in uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, And if you will keep my statutes and ordinances, what am I going to do? I will establish the throne of your kingdom. I'm going to stop there for a second. But he says, if you will be like David. Now, you could stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. David, David, David committed adultery. David murdered David. No, David is a man after God's own heart. Even when David messed up, he always came back to God. He always dealt with his sin. He always is called a man after God's own heart. What about Solomon? He's saying, Solomon, if you'll be like David, I'll take care of you. If you'll be like David and obey, he says, I will establish your throne. So he says, you've got to be a man of character, a man of integrity. You've got to do what you say. You've got to live uprightly. You've got to obey my commands. You've got to live according to the scripture. And if you do, there will be blessing. Look what he says. Again, in verse 4, if you'll walk before me like your father David, now slip down to verse 5, then if you do that, I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying, you shall not lack lack a man on the throne of Israel. So he actually says this. Now watch. God promised David that Israel would always be his people, but he told him, They were having a king on the throne was dependent on obedience. God tells Solomon, if you will obey me, you get to stay on the throne. And he basically said that for the nation of Israel, when they obeyed God, they would have a king on the throne. When they disobeyed God, he would remove the king off the throne and he would remove them from their land. And you could ask yourself a question right now. Does Israel have a king on the throne? The answer is no. They not obeyed God. They're coming back, and there's going to be a time that they will believe in Jesus as Messiah. That's going to happen one of these days. It's going to be after we're gone, but it's going to happen. But whenever Solomon was the king, he stayed on the throne. But after Solomon died, the nation divided. 
a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The capital was at Samaria. Southern kingdom was called Judah. The capital was at Jerusalem. The northern kingdom never had a believing king. Southern kingdom had some believing kings. Guess what he did? He took them off the throne and took Israel out of the land. That's exactly what he promises. So here's, here's the positive. He says, if you'll do what I tell you, I will establish the throne and you'll get to be there. However, then there's a negative. There's a warning, verse 6. But if you or your sons indeed turn away from following me and you don't keep my commandments and my statutes, which I set before you, and to serve other gods, and you worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and the house which I consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Israel will become a proverb and a byword. He says, if you turn away, if you turn away, and if you don't obey the word, And by the way, the nation turned away when they were in the wilderness. Do you realize that they watched God destroy Egypt? They watched God part the Red Sea. They watched God bring manna down every day, and they rebelled against him. And he says here, if you as a nation rebel against me, I will remove you from this land, and I will tear down this temple. That's exactly what happened. This is Deuteronomy 28. By the way, if you ever go, if you study the Bible, you go back to Deuteronomy 28. That's where God says, if you obey, I will bless. If you disobey, I will curse. If they disobeyed, there's no king that removed from the land. Did that happen? God promises judgment in 722 BC. The Assyrians came in and took away the northern kingdom. In 585 B.C., the Babylonians came in, destroyed the temple, just what he says right here, and took away the nation. And then in A.D. 70, after they came back from captivity in A.D. 70, the Romans came in, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and scattered the people all over the world. Did God do what he said? If nation of Israel obeys God, there's blessing. If they disobey God, there's not blessing. God promised the judgment, and that's exactly what happened. And he said, notice verse 6, the house will become a heap of ruins. It'll be destroyed, and it was. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hissed and say, why has the Lord done this to the land, to his house? And they'll say, because they forsake the Lord their God and brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and they adopted other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this adversity on them. He said, there'll be a byword, a proverb. People will say, they disobeyed God and he removed them. He said, there's going to come a time after Israel has moved out, people will come by and they'll say, what happened to these people who lived here? And they had this big temple and everything. And they'll say, because they disobeyed their God and he removed them all. And that's exactly what happened. Let me tell you something. In 585 BC, the nation of Israel, the southern part The northern part was already gone. The southern part was taken into captivity. And in Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah said they would be in captivity for 70 years. Guess what? Exactly at the end of 70 years, they were able to go back to the land. God said, the reason you went into captivity was false gods. I want you to understand something. When Israel came back in 530-something, when they came back, they never have worshiped false gods again. Never. As a nation. They disobeyed God, but they never worshiped false gods. You're going to see something that will make you sick to your stomach, and that is Solomon. 
as the great man, the wisest man who's ever lived, the man who's the richest king in the world, and uh, every, he has everything, and you're going to watch him turn away from God as we go through these final three chapters. And you know what you could say? God, I don't think I'd do that. Yes, you would. Take heed lest you think you stay in your fall. You never know what you're going to do. So, they're the byword because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. By the way, what happens to us when we don't do what we're supposed to do? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child he received. Proverbs says we're to live wisely. If not, there's discipline. Hebrew, Philippians 4, 9 says we're to live by the word of God. So we're supposed to live and glorify God. Now, after that, verse 10, and I'm going to go really quickly the rest of the way. Came about at the end of 20 years in which Solomon had built two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. I want you to understand that, uh, oh, hit, hit, obey my word, they'll be blessed and disobey cursing. Solomon is going to give a gift to Hiram, and it's going to be 20 cities. And so this is after 20 years, this is halfway through his rule, and he's going to give Hiram 20 cities. Look what he says in verse 11. Hiram, king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress timber and gold according to all he desired. Then King Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. That's, that's, that sounds really good. So here's Hiram. He's given gold. He's given trees. He's given everything so they could build the temple and build the tabernacle. I mean, build the uh, palace and everything else. And so Solomon says, hey, I'm going to give you cities, 20 cities. And you can see Hiram going, that, that's good. That's good. And then he goes and looks at the cities. Look what it says. Verse 12. So Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they did not please him. And he said, what are these cities which you've given me, my brother? So they called the land of, they called it the land of Kabul to this day. Kabul means good for nothing. It means worthless. Hiram said, these cities are pitiful. These aren't good cities. They don't have any drive-ins. They don't have, I mean, they don't have anything. These cities are pitiful. And so, what's Hiram going to do? He's disappointed. He's supposed to give Solomon a bunch of gold. Could he say, well, you didn't give me the cities that I liked. I'm disappointed, so I'm not going to do what I said. Is that what we should do? When we get disappointed, are we going to go back on our word? When something goes wrong and it's not like the way we want it, are we going to say, well, it didn't turn out the way I wanted, so I'm not going to do this? No, we shouldn't. Look what Hiram does. Even though he is displeased, he did what he said. Look down at verse 14. And Hiram sent to, king, to the king 120 talents of gold. That's about $19 million. Even though he was what? Disappointed. Even though he said they're cabal, they're, they're worthless, he did what he said. And we need to do the same thing. We need to keep our word even if we're disappointed, even if things don't turn out the way we think they should. We should do what we say we're going to do. Now, the rest part I'm going to go fairly quickly through because we're going to see uh, what he did. Now, look at verse 15. It says, now, this is the account of the forced labor which King Solomon levied to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, Gezer. Let me just tell you, he, it's easy uh, to go back on the word. He, at 20 years, halfway through his reign, 
He has built a temple, a palace, the Milo, which actually is a place for protection. It's at the southern end of the city of David where his palace was, and he built it up so that people couldn't attack him. He built the wall around Jerusalem. He built a city called Hazor, which is on the northern route. He built Megiddo, which is in the valley of Jezreel, and then Gezer. By the way, when you hear Megiddo, does that ring a bell? How about Armageddon? Armageddon comes from Har-Megiddo. Har means mountain. Megiddo is, means a place. So Armageddon really means the mountain of Megiddo. That's where the final battle will take place. There's a mountain of Megiddo and then a valley in the valley of Jezreel. And so that's Megiddo. And we'll talk about that when we study the book of Revelation coming up in a few weeks. We'll see how that ties together. So he did all this building, and then look what it says. For Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer, burned it with fire, gave it to his, basically gave it to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So Solomon rebuilt it, and in verses 17 and 18, he built, rebuilt all these cities. Now, let me raise this question, and, and who, who built all these? And by the way, in verse 19, he had cities of chariots and horsemen, and it pleased him to do all this. Who did all this work? Well, I want you to understand it wasn't the Jewish people. Verse 20 says, As for the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, who were not descendants of Israel, their descendants who were left in the land whom the sons of Israel were able to, not able to destroy, Solomon made them forced laborers. So, but he did not make the sons of Israel forced laborers. So what he did is when he built all these things, he took the descendants of these people that they conquered when they got into the promised land and used them as slaves to build the cities and the things that he wanted to do. So it's powerful. He made his own people soldiers. Look at verse 23. These were the chief officers who oversaw his work, 550 who ruled over the people during the work. So he did, he did it that way. The Jews were the soldiers. Now, we'll finish quickly. Solomon's lifestyle, his marriage, his worship, and his navy. So let's look at his marriage. Verse 24, um, as, as soon as Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, then Solomon had built for her and he built Milo. So he, he's married to Pharaoh's daughter. And we could say, well, I mean, you could say, was there not a good Jewish girl you could have married? So he married, but he didn't marry her because he was in love with her. He married her because he wanted to make an agreement with Pharaoh that they would get along because Egypt was the second most powerful nation in the world behind Israel. And so he's made that agreement, his marriage. Now, it sounds good, but then there's a problem. Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter, but this is just one of many to come. Notice this. King Solomon, this is chapter 11. King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. That's a slave wife. And he, Now notice here's the key. And his wives turned his heart away. They worshiped other gods. If you were a Moabite, if you were Edomite, if you're an Ammonite, you, you worship Baal or you worship Moloch. And you can see that the wives of Solomon would come to him and say, okay, I know you worship the God of Israel, but I worship Baal. What would be wrong if you would build a little statue to Baal? Would that be okay? And Solomon would go, I, I don't see that's a real problem. If you want one out there, and before you know it, he's worshiping those gods too. 
It never happens overnight. It happens over a period of time. So his wives turned his heart away. Now what about his worship? He's faithful. Uh, Verse 25 says, Solomon three times a year offered burnt offerings, peace offerings uh, on the altar, and he built to the Lord burning incense on them. By the way, uh, three times a year, every Jewish male... Mosaic law, every Jewish male had to come to Jerusalem three times a year. They had to come to the time of unleavened bread, which were Passover, uh, unleavened bread, and first fruits all at the same time. They had to come. Then they had to come, and that was the, that Passover. Then in the middle of the harvest, at the start of the, the, the big harvest coming up, it was called Pentecost, 50 days after first fruits. They came for that. And then later in the fall, when they were bringing in all the harvest, they came for a feast called Tabernacles. Actually, there was the, the Day of Atonement and, and and the, the first fruits and all of that, all that tied together. And then it was the, the tabernacle, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so he had to come for all of those. So far, he's doing great. Let me quickly give you one other thing that, uh, that what worship is responding to God. We've talked about this, and we talked about it the first of the message. So I hope and pray we understand that. Then he had a, na- a navy that, uh, that was at the, basically at the Gulf of Aqaba. That's where it is. If you look at verse 26, Solomon built a fleet of ships in Ezon Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea. That's Gulf of Aqaba. And then Hiram sent his servants, and they had soldiers, and they sent sailors. And then notice 28, they sent to Ophir and took 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to Solomon. That's $100 million worth of gold. Solomon is the richest person that you could ever imagine. Now let's stop for a second. And I want you to think about it. If we stopped right here, we would say, wow, Solomon is, is the greatest. Wow. He's got a kingdom. He's, he's got an alliance with Egypt. He's built the palace. He's built the temple. He's built all these cities. He's done everything. He's got ships. They got gold coming in. They're, they're ruling the world. And, we, and he's worshiping God. And he comes three times a year just like he's supposed to. And if we stopped right here, we would say, this is good. But we can't stop. We got chapters 10 and 11. In those two chapters, Solomon is going to turn away from God. And he's going to worship false gods. And God is going to deal with it. Just like he said, if you obey me, you get to stay in the land. If you disobey me, I'll take you out of the land. So there's going to be some sad things in chapters 10 and chapter 11. And we'll see that as we go through it. There's so much there. So let's pray. Let's, let me, quickly, let me give you the uh, uh, applications. Let's obey God. That's, I mean, that's the key, right? Obey God. That's what we see all the way through. That's what we're supposed to do is obey him. And we know this, that obedience always brings blessing and disobedience brings discipline. In Galatians 6, 7, sowing and reaping, whatever you put in, you get out. So live for God and he'll bless us. The second one is let's trust God in the disappointments of life. Uh, Hiram did what he was supposed to do even though he was really upset. And so we got to be faithful to do what we're supposed to do even though we're upset. We got to be people of character. The third application is let's worship God because that's what Solomon's doing. We'd say right here, if we just stayed right here, this would be great. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. And that's our goal. Our goal is to respond to God. We talked about it already, but that's what worship is. And then finally, let's understand that our strength and our power are in God. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He is our strength and protector. That's who he is. And, and so when we go out these doors and see Solomon 
was trusting in gold and alliances and horses. Let me say one thing, and I know we're over time. In the Mosaic Law, it said, if you're a king, do not multiply horses, because that means you're trusting an army. Do not multiply wives, that means you're trusting alliances. And do not multiply gold, that means you're trusting riches. Solomon did all three. And that was the beginning of his end. So let's live for God. He is our strength and our shield. He is our protector.